Well, hello all, Mike Falkenstein here with 1A Catalyst. Together with my friend Steve Shermer of Silk Road Catalyst, I'm one of the co-hosts of Missions Talk. Missions Talk is a show where we have regular media content on best practices and inside looks into what God is doing around the world in missions, featuring guests that are involved in global missions from parachurch organizations, churches, and other missions networks around the world. We have a deep heart to help you find ways to reach your world for Christ. In today's episode, Steve and I talk about the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey, some of the greatest needs of the people there, and some of the greatest ministry opportunities in the relief efforts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this, the latest episode of Missions Talk. My name is Mike Falkenstein. I direct a ministry called 1-8 Catalyst, and I'm here with my uh, friend and co-host, Steve Shermer. And Steve, um, we're getting into the spring slowly. Um, and from what I see on social media, things are kind of warming up for you guys there, aren't they? They did warm up, and then they got cold again. So. Oh, really? So it's kind of yeah, back and so forth. Yeah, so in fact, tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up below freezing. Oh, wow, really? So, yeah, the trees blossomed, the pollen went everywhere, my titanium-looking car is now yellow, and uh, but yeah, we're waking up to freezing temperatures in the morning wow. and for the next several days. So winter decided to make a U-turn. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm not done. I'm not done yet, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's we great. got so used to the warmth, and suddenly I'm like, <laughs> we walked outside to go to church yesterday. Uh, my son wearing shorts, not realizing how cold it was. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Winter, spring in South Carolina. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And here in uh, Colorado, we have not gotten the warm weather yet, so we're still kind of waiting for that. And You just had um, snow, didn't you? Yeah, we've had some snow. Um, seems like the last month, it's like one day a week we are getting some snow, so it's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of trying to hang on as well. And so, um, you know, of course, for us, the big thing is that, uh, uh, you know, my house sits just above, um, you know, it's right at about 6,000 feet above sea level. So at that, at, at that elevation, the weather can just, it just really gets really wonky, can just change very quickly. And so we're, yeah, we're kind of been cold and it snows. And so, yeah, we're excited about the warmer weather as, as well. So. Anyway, well, so Steve, we have a, an important episode today. Of course, um, you know, in the news, we've seen the what has happened with the earthquake um, situation, both in Turkey and Syria. And I know that uh, your ministry has been um, involved in all of that. And so we wanted to kind of bring that to the um, to the viewing audience and, you know, as a way to let people know exactly what's happening there. And so uh, why don't you just start us off, Steve, and give us kind of an idea of the situation today in uh, Turkey and Syria with the earthquake and kind of the aftermath. Yeah, so it's been over a month since the first earthquake hit uh, on February 6th. I think it was a 7.8. And then that few hours later, there was a second one at 7.5. Hmm. And subsequently, there's been probably three or four more official earthquakes uh, coupled with over probably by now 12,000 aftershocks. Wow. Uh, just in the last month. They were, I think they were estimating 
six to nine hundred aftershocks a day at one point. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty intense. And of course, this is probably the first time you and I have been able to sit down to even have this discussion uh, like this to um, mm -hmm. to share what's going on. Just because you know, when that happened, uh, it just the ball started rolling with me and just getting things going. So basically where it stands now in terms of the situation in Turkey and Syria, because Syria is involved as well, is there's a total of over 53,000 people confirmed dead. Um, wow. And probably just as many people missing still today. Uh, I read one, for, one report where it said 600 and over 680,000 homes were destroyed wow. in this earthquake. Um, hundred and I'm trying to think over 150,000 structures, I think it was, or somewhere in that, regardless if it's a little less, it's still a lot. That is and, a lot. and that includes structures that collapsed during the earthquake, as we saw, as well as structures that were so badly damaged that they're going to have to be demolished and they're uh, not inhabitable anymore. Wow. So, you know, it, in some towns where the epic center rat were pretty much destroyed. And so uh, the area had probably somewhere between three and five million. I can't remember exactly uh, number of people. Uh, I was I read somewhere where two million people have left the region that the earthquake zone uh, for other parts okay. of Turkey, other parts of Syria uh, to basically restart their lives, whether they had family members somewhere else or friends or something, and they just had the means to do it. Well, a million and a half people are still left behind. Wow. And they either don't want to go or they don't have anywhere to go. And their entire family was in those areas. And so they're now inherently homeless uh, mm. with, with nothing. I mean, if any of them had been able to get into their homes, it was to salvage whatever little that wasn't destroyed, which wasn't very much. Uh, even one person was able to salvage a toilet of all things, oh. or at least find one. So they made a makeshift toilet outside uh, so they could do their business all right. uh, without having to just squat on the street or something out in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, people are getting really creative. So it's, I mean, overall it's really bad. Uh, we were not originally going to get involved, but uh, we met a, or I met a Palestinian couple who are missionaries in the region. Uh, several, a couple of years ago, we stayed in contact, uh, met several times, and uh, in the process of learning about the earthquake and the situation of just trying to garner prayer for the situation that was going on, uh, they referred me to one of the pastors they work with, which is a Syrian pastor. And so I connected with him and as we started okay. communicating, I started learning about their plan and what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're holding uh, people accountable with the finances. And I mean, it was just, they were really meticulous in what they were doing. I was completely impressed by it. That's great. I uh, ended up talking with some other Western missionaries who knew this pastor who could affirm his integrity. And so we jumped in knowing that most of the aid was going to help the Turkish people and, and, and they needed help as well. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't help them, 
But the reality right. was for multiple reasons, uh, the Syrian people were not getting, either not getting aid at all, uh, aid was being taken in Syria, or, or uh, those in Turkey were just not getting as much of the aid that they needed, and in some cases not getting it at all. So uh, we wanted to step up because uh, we wanted to help specifically the Syrian people that were affected. So uh, we jumped in, I went to the region, I met with the pastor, uh, met with several people, started the ball rolling. Uh, it's been amazing to see the people that have been giving and, um, and just how people have responded to this. And so, you know, we've been able to buy tents and blankets and clothing and, and all kinds of stuff uh, for these people. We originally set out to, to help just 40 families. And mm. I think we're up to 128 right now. And there's more on the horizon. That's awesome. Being and so, um, That's you know, great. on one end, we don't like the devastation. We hate the devastation. Um, mm -hmm. But we're thankful that God has been providing that we could help those who are who are affected, who are mourning, people who are who lost literally lost everything. And if you think about the Syrians, just to highlight them, a lot of the Syrians in Turkey were refugees. So when the civil war started in Syria, they lost everything and had to leave everything behind to start a new life in Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, or Iraq. And and now those who were in um, Turkey specifically. Uh, lost, you know, literally started over 10 years or less ago, and now they're starting over again. Uh, okay. Some, I know uh, for a fact that some made it to the eastern side of Turkey, and when people were helping them, all they had was the pajamas that they ran out the door with. Mm. That's all they have left uh, when they wow. arrived. And, and so there's a lot of effort with this church and his network, including this Palestinian family and their friends, of how do we serve, how do we help? So we've gotten involved, we've sent a team to the earthquake zone last week, uh, as well as uh, to other places. Uh, before that, uh, we're sending another team soon uh, to the region, not gonna say where, but to the region to help mm. uh, also further uh, do some more work with relief efforts. And um, so I'm just thankful that we've been able to, now the train's here, if you can hear it. Our, yeah. Our faithful train who likes to show up at a moment's notice. So um, uh, anyways, that's, that's where we're stand right now, kind of a 36,000 foot view of what's happening. Okay, so just quick uh, clarifying question uh, that I know is on my mind, so it's probably on others that are watching as well. Uh, the, the earthquake, did it happen? Is there an earthquake in Syria and a earthquake also in Turkey? Was it the same earthquake, hmm. or is it just Syrians that are now in Turkey that are affected? Or, I mean, are there cities in both countries that are affected? Sure. So the earthquakes were technically in Turkey, as far as I'm aware. I don't know that there was an actual earthquake in Syria. However, okay. it was it uh, most of them. There's a fault line if you look at a map. Um, of Turkey, Syria, and Lebanon, uh, there's a fault line that goes kind of the eastern, sorry, the western side of Syria up through the kind of center right of, of Turkey. 
Okay. And so it's along that fault line where the earthquakes were happening on the Turkish side, but they were so strong, they shook the northern Syria side with just as much power. Wow. And okay. so uh, buildings on both sides of the border collapsed. Uh, granted, the majority was in Turkey, but uh, significant damage was done on the northern side of Syria. Uh, the building structures were, you know, obviously not up to code. When you look at video of structures that survived the quake, uh, surrounded by buildings that crumbled, Oh, uh -huh. uh, those buildings were built to code, and they were built to withstand a serious earthquake. In fact, there was one building that was designed by civil engineers. Mm. Uh, I think it was a government building that's in charge of, of holding engineers and construction workers accountable. Their building looked like nothing happened to it. Oh, wow. All the buildings literally around it crumbled. Oh, and, and of course, you can read the news. There's a lot of uh, reports going on in Turkey, outside of Turkey, about um, why buildings were not built to code, newer buildings were not built to code, and what happened. So, and in Syria, you know, the civil war, you've got the Syrian government versus the free Syrian army fighting each other. So, you know, things are just built because people need a, a roof over their head. And unfortunately, they just didn't have the means to, to build quality stuff. Uh, oh, okay. This time. Okay. So, okay. Thanks for that clarification. So actually, there are areas in both countries that have been affected by this, this, uh, this earthquake. Correct. So, um, so uh, the next question, of course, then is, you know, how is the church there responding well, uh, you know, first off, the church in the area is very small. You know, okay. I, think, I think Turkey is uh, less than 1% Christian. If I, I, have, I didn't look at the number, but I think it's around that. Uh, when I talked to the pastor, the Syrian pastor, and I asked him, because I remember having a similar conversation in Jordan, I said, you know, how many Christians are in Syria? And he gave me a figure. And I was, I was a little bit surprised by the figure he gave me. It was a bit higher than I thought it would be. I said, okay. How many of them are actually born again? And he goes, oh, well, that's, that's a different question. Oh. Uh, and he goes, that's okay. probably less than 1%. Oh, okay. So he says, just like uh, a pastor I know in Jordan, there's Christians on one hand, and there's believers on the other. They're not equal. And so, um, you know, so understanding that the church in Turkey and in Syria is not very big. There's only so much they're going to be able to do. Uh, they don't have as many resources um, as uh, outside churches might have. And, and this church, this uh, church the Syrian pastor runs, is, is they live by faith. I mean, that's pretty much what they do. Uh, they have a little bit of money. When something happens, it goes out the door because they're trying to help. They had raised a little bit of money before the earthquake for situations like this, not knowing it was around the corner. And I think it was $400. Oh, okay. And the moment it hit, that $400 went out the door. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but what I've been impressed by, especially this one church that we're connected to, is just how they're responding even without finances. And they are literally walking by faith going, it's, it's like the five loaves and two fish scenario. Oh, wow. Okay. You have a That's little. Great. 
but you have to feed a lot. Um, they have very little, but they have hundreds if, I mean, they're helping hundreds, but they really need to help thousands or even tens of thousands of people. Oh, so they and, could help way more, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, and some of it is in Turkey, it's easier to get aid to people. In Syria, it's more problematic uh, because of the governing authorities that are at war with each other. And so um, I've been really impressed with this particular church and how they've responded, what they're doing. And so it's, I've also been very happy to see how outside churches have come alongside them. And I know that's happening with probably others as well, but specifically this church of, you know, we've got the resources, let's get them to you. And then they're taking that money and really um, going in there. And it's not just Western. Uh, I'm seeing Korean people involved. I'm seeing Egyptians involved. So it's, uh, and I know of a network of Chinese where they, where hundreds of Chinese got engaged uh, with aid relief in the region. So it is the global church that is stepping up to come alongside the local church in the region to serve the people who need the help. Wow. Boy, I sure love to hear that, that there's, you know, churches from around the world that are getting involved. That's really great. Um, and it is, you know, with the, uh, uh, my history, um, in China in particular, you mentioned the Chinese, mm-hmm. you know, there was a time, gosh, it's probably now 10, 15 years ago where many, many Chinese churches knew they ought to be involved, but literally didn't know how. And so it's great that they're just kind of taking these steps by faith and, you know, being involved, uh, cause there's. Yeah, there's need, isn't there? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> around absolutely. The world. And so, um, because for a lot of time, for for years, it was kind of like we know we ought to, but we don't know how, and so we won't. Mm. And so, for them to go, hey, there's a need, and mm. you know, we'll uh, we'll step up. So, well, that's great. So, uh, final question. No, second to second to last question for me uh, for you, Steve. Um, so as you're assessing the situation and you have kind of um, contacts there and all the stuff that you guys are doing, you know, what, uh, where's the hope in all of this? What hope do they have as even they see this uh, living in this, you know, really hard situation? What I've learned in all this and what I've been told and not by Westerners, okay, this is not coming from a Western source. This is coming from a Syrian source. Okay. That this person, this Syrian pastor, has never in his life seen a more more openness to the gospel among Syrian people than he's seen right now since the earthquake. Wow. And so Mm -hmm. I hate to use the term silver lining because it is a horrific uh, crisis uh, that's that's still going on. Um, but the reality is there is an openness. They've had so much bad news and they've mm-hmm. lived so much of that bad news over the past month that they're open to good news. And good news is, yes, providing blankets and housing and all that. But the greatest of the good news is sharing the gospel with them. And That's so they're having yeah. incredible conversations and the way he described it is, we don't even have to force anything. It's just happening. Mm. The people there 
delivering aid to, they want to talk about it. They want to talk about something good, something hopeful. All right. uh, I don't know what the response is right now uh, to people hearing the gospel, but at least, at the very least, they're talking about it. Okay. They, they want to, and they're inviting this pastor and his people in his church into their homes very freely to sit with them, to have tea, to talk, to get to know each other, and to and and they're hearing the gospel. So, mm. you know, in that respect, there is something positive in this. Um, um, but you know, at the same time, it's 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 always a balancing act between the two. We want to do both. And that's right. I, I believe it's a necessity that we deliver both the physical that's aid right. as well as the gospel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because it, it does turn out that many times in these situations, meeting people's uh, physical needs does lead to a more openness to the gospel. Right. Sure. And so, um, well, Steve, as you were talking, I was just thinking you know, it's probably a whole nother episode. Uh, that we could do, uh, but it is interesting how there are times when there are these these disasters, right? Hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, you know, those kinds mm -hmm. of things that happen, um, which then leads to an openness to the gospel. And so it's almost like uh, many times the human heart needs to be jolted to <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of out of their comfort zone or something. Right. I mean, we could examine that more in another episode, but um, it is interesting how that does that does seem to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you could say the same thing. I mean, I've never been through an earthquake. I've never been through uh, a significant natural disaster like that. But uh, I do know that times in my life when things when you feel like the pressure is so intense that you're just ready to give up on life, mm -hmm. that those are the moments where that's, you know, some people don't become open. They just wallow in this, in the tragedy or the crisis mm. that they're in. Mm -hmm. But for many people, we want to find that hope um, beyond the crisis. And it's in those moments where we do become more sensitive. If we're, if we're willing to look and say, okay, there's got to be something better than this crap I'm in. <laughs> you know, that's right. So, yeah, that's right in those moments we become more open and when we become more open we become more sensitive to the gospel now mm -hmm. the flip side of that as believers it's why it's our responsibility to get the gospel to them because if we refuse or keep making excuses for why we can't go certain places well guess what those holes are going to be filled in by something else that we don't want to see people believing because it That's leads right. nothing to it only leads to destruction. So they're going from one path of destruction to another path of destruction. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And if we can't get, if we continue, because I, I just feel that we just do this too much. <laughs> now I'm not saying we're all called to go everywhere or to do everything. Right. But I do believe if we're all moving forward intentionally in the Great Commission, whether that's locally or globally, somehow, all those gaps are going to be filled, but the fact that they're not being filled tells me that we're making way too many excuses. Oh, Using right. Our careers as excuses, our families as excuses. I can't take my kids. Well, guess what? I took my kids to Asia, mm -hmm. and I know many right. people who take their kids to Asia and do just fine. Okay? That's right. 
Yes, yeah, I can give stories of people who died and were killed and martyred on the field, but they're not a significant percentage of those who ultimately go. We can't use safety as an excuse to not go because all you have to do is get in your car and just a few miles away from my house, the other day was a major accident on an intersection that's not a major intersection, but everyone in the accident died. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So all you have to do is get in your car to be in danger. All you got to do is yeah. turn on the lights and be in danger or cook something and be in, <laughs> you know, it, you could go on and on. But right. the point is we got to stop making excuses. Yeah. And Amen. if you're, if we're involved locally, great. I know people who are, and they are fully invested in it. Mm. Great. They don't need to be invested in what I'm doing, but I don't find that most Christians are fully invested into much except oh, right. their, their own life. And okay. That so that leads then to a uh, final question for those that are watching and they go, wow, I, I didn't know the need there. Uh, these hundreds of thousands of people that have been affected, um, you know, and they, they do want to be involved in some ways. What are the, what are the kind of the first steps for them to, to be involved in, uh, Turkey and Syria. Yeah, so uh, on one level, I'm still trying to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> okay. So Syria itself is not new to us as a ministry, uh, but Syria, in the sense of how we're approaching it right now through this earthquake, is is new. The partners are new, so we're still discerning how to approach this uh, okay. long term. And hopefully in the near future, we'll have better I'll have better answers for that. Um, you know, right now I've got a team going next week, and basically the team is buying a bunch of stuff while they're there. They're bringing in cash to buy things that can't be bought with a credit card. And uh, we're delivering, providing the aid materials that can't be bought other ways. Okay. okay? We are... Uh, we sent as a ministry, that team, as I mentioned earlier, spend time with the people who are still there suffering and bringing them things that they don't have money for or don't have access to because there's no stores available. You know, they're all under the rubble as well. So, okay. um, you know, we, we've looked into things like medical stuff, but that's as far as Turkey's concerned, that's not needed. Turkey seems to do a really good job providing medical care, even to Syrians. I've heard it's top notch in the country. Okay. Uh, Syria, we're we're trying, we're still wrapping our minds of how do we do that because we are looking at trying to get aid into Syria as well. So okay. we're trying to figure that out and hope we'll find a path soon for that. Um, you know, the reality is sometimes getting aid to these areas, the way the type of aid that's needed, it it it's expensive to even get it to them. It's not just, it's not simple to just wire the money over there. Oh, right. I've been told that by multiple sources uh, from multiple countries, even local people that wiring money would actually not be helpful. Okay. So, uh, well, I mean, gotta, part, yeah. yeah, part of that is just because it just to tag on that. I'm sure part of it is they need to have the, I mean, you send the money, but they need to have the actual raw material or the, yeah. the actual need. I mean, yeah. you know, you send money for rice, but maybe they don't even have rice there. You know, you'd have to actually get it to them or, you know, so sometimes it's like a supply chain issue. Yeah. Probably. And like the supply they, chain you know. is part of 
the aid package. I mean, it's not just giving rice. I mean, you got to have the money to get the rice to them and the vehicles and, you know. Right. So, so really right now, the two biggest things, obviously prayer. Okay. And, you know, don't, don't take that lightly. Pray for them. Pray mm -hmm. for the aid to get to them. Pray for the money to be given. Uh, pray for the people who are giving it to them. Uh, pray for opportunities, you know, for continued opportunities to share the gospel because that's mm. critical as well. And, of course, giving finances. You know, if someone wants to give through us, it's our website, silkroadcatalyst.com um, slash forward slash earthquake relief, all one word. Uh, okay. And, you know, any money we get from that is going uh, – the link on that page specifically, any money we get through that link right now is going to the aid products, to the delivery of the aid, whatever it takes to get the aid to the people. Mm, and so okay. that's what our team is doing uh, uh, next week is they're going to be carrying in stuff to purchase aid. Some of the aid items are being bought in one city and taken to another. I mean, okay. uh, in one case, the team that just went to the earthquake zone bought some things in one city and had to fly it with them to the other city. Okay. So um, right. the logistical process is, is complex. There's a lot of complexities to it, uh, creativity. So giving and prayer are top two. Uh, we're hoping in the future we can have opportunities for going short term once we find better ways that, um, that would be beneficial to them, but it needs to be beneficial and not just um, not just doing a mission trip for the sake of a mission trip because. Oh, right. Okay, good. Well, a couple of quick thoughts, obviously the prayer and giving, they're both tremendous opportunities to be involved. You know, of course we know what, uh, uh, the, in the power of prayer, um, Steve, I also sort of think about for your organization, this is kind of a, um, when you talk about kind of a hidden blessing, I mean, it, you're clearly building infrastructure where there wasn't right to meet this need. And so, you know, there could be just some cool things in terms of um, not only for this earthquake opportunity to serve, but then also in the future, in the future, you'll go, Oh yeah, we've got our people and here's this and that. And you know, you'll, you'll be ready to go. So you're even as you're figuring it out, then you will figure it out. And then in the future, you'll have more opportunity. So mm -hmm. it's nice, neat to see some uh, growth there too. So, well, thanks, Steve, for giving us a update on um, what's happening in uh, Turkey and Syria. And yeah, for those watching, just continue to be praying. <clears throat> and, you know, Steve mentioned this um, dedicated webpage that, that uh, his organization has. Please go visit that. Uh, go check out what they're doing. Uh, be sure to, if you enjoyed this content, be sure to share it with others. And um, we're thankful that you've been with us. And uh, we look forward to having you on the uh, next episode of Missions Talk. To find out more about Missions Talk or to watch previous episodes, please go to facebook.com forward slash missions talk. It is on our Facebook page that we have the catalog of all of our episodes. To find out more about my organization, 18 Catalyst, please go to 18catalyst.org. And to find out about Steve's work with Silk Road Catalyst, please go to silkroadcatalyst.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you with us on the next episode of Missions Talk.